Good morning. Welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. Apologize for all my cords. Um, I'm going to read this call to worship for us this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for the acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Psalm 150 verses 1 through 2. That's what we're going to do this morning. Praise God. Just want to take a moment to leave everything behind outside that we experience in the week, in the weekend, good and bad. Just take this moment to focus on the Lord. We're going to sing this song, a new song, House of the Lord, and just we're going to rejoice. And sometimes it's hard when you aren't feeling joyful, but we can choose to be joyful in God's presence because he is the source of our joy this morning. Amen. All right, let's worship him. You can stand with us while we sing, if you'd like. Yeah. 
Praise 
to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise. To glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against, and yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. God's faithfulness is based on his love. We just want to take a moment to sing, to meditate about on that love of God that is what we rely on so much. Let's sing this. Christ is dead. 
morning as we give praise and thanks to God for paying that ransom for us and would you pray that we in this place would all deeply feel that great love that God has for his children that he would give his son to pay that ransom let's pray this morning and contemplate on these things God this morning there's so many things running through my mind and there are so many things on my heart. God, as we go from singing joyfully that there is reason to celebrate, there's reason to sing, there's reason to dance. God, there is a reason to shout from hearts that are joyful. God, you have given us so many good things in our lives there are so many blessings that we can consider, that we can think about, that we can name in our lives, and we give you praise for these things. God, there can be deep joy and thankfulness in our hearts, but God, we also, we solemnly contemplate just how great your love for us is. And God, we, we pause this morning as we consider the great lengths that you went to to show us just how much love you have for us. And we see that so beautifully demonstrated in the life of Jesus, who was constantly rejected, who was constantly questioned. He was constantly rebuked. He was pushed out of circles, he was pushed to the sidelines until ultimately he received the, the ultimate rejection of death on a cross. But in the midst of all of that, he held us, each one of us, in his mind and in his heart. And Lord Jesus, for that we are thankful. We are thankful that while it was the sin of humanity, it was our sin, it was my sin, that nailed you to that cross, that as you are breathing your last breath, that you would speak forgiveness over us. And Lord, that is heavy on our hearts this morning, and for that we are profoundly grateful. God, may, may it not be lost on us just how deep your love is for us. Jesus, would you help us to live a life of love and forgiveness toward others the way that you showed us? And we also, Lord, we, we pause in this place and we contemplate that there are many who might be carrying heavy burdens in this place. 
where we pause and we recognize that there are many in our midst, there are maybe many that are, are joining us online or just some that are not here this morning that are carrying heavy burdens that are going through really difficult things. And so, Lord, we pause in this place to recognize that while we do have so much to be grateful for, we, we do have reasons to sing joyfully, God, we also recognize that sometimes this life is hard. And sometimes people go through things that just are not fair. And sometimes we just come in here heavy-hearted as we hold all of these things together. And so, Lord, for those in this place this morning that are just saying, I want to be joyful, I want to sing joyfully, but my heart is so heavy that it's just a little bit difficult for me this morning, Lord, would you draw near to those of us in this place who just need more of your peace and strength to get us through what might just be a difficult moment and a difficult time. God, we love you. And we just take a moment to rest in and soak up your love for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and we invite you to continue to move among us in this place. Continue to speak to our hearts. Teach us and guide us through scripture this morning. Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts to obey. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your gifts and your love for us. And we pray all of this confident and hopeful in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there is certainly joy in the house of the Lord today as we take a moment and recognize um, some folks who are going to join in our fellowship. I'm going to come down here this morning as I invite uh, Burl and Judy Hand to come up here and join me, and Kurt and Betty Benedict, I'm inviting them to come and join me up here as well. So the Benedicts and the Hands um, have just recently gone through a Connect 101 class. You guys can stand right over here. Um, and the Benedicts and the Hands, they come uh, from a long history. They have a, a long friendship between the two of them. They have a long history together. They have been in church together for the past several years. They are the best of friends. And I'm just here to tell you that these, oh, we're going to come over here. Sorry, sorry. Sometimes I forget that we have to work around technology and cameras and things. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Tarek also joined some of our classes, and so he's just about ready to join the church officially. I'm just kidding. But um, we had such a great time over the last few weeks in our Connect 101 class. Getting to know Burl and Judy and Kurt and Betty was a joy, a true joy. These are some of the kindest most genuine folks that I have talked to in a long time, and we just had such a great time together. And so we're going to celebrate uh, them deciding that they want to be a part of BFCN, that they want to join our fellowship, and that they see a beautiful thing in this place, and that it's a testimony to you all um, and how great it is to be in your presence and to be partnering with a people 
like those at BFCN. So this morning, we're going to read through a few of these things as we um, just celebrate the, um, there's the sacred privilege of becoming uh, members of a community together. The privileges and blessings that we have in community together in the church of Jesus Christ are sacred and precious. Amen? Amen. Within this community, we have a special kind of fellowship, care, and counsel that cannot otherwise be known apart from the family of God. Within this community, there is what we hope to be godly care of pastors with the teaching of the word and the inspiration of this corporate worship. And there is cooperation and service as we accomplish together what otherwise cannot be done. Standing here with me today is Betty and Kurt and Judy and Burl. And they, they have both just finished up this wonderful Connect 101 class, and they have acknowledged that they would like to join the membership of BFCN. So today, once again, we affirm again the statement of belief for the Church of the Nazarene, that there is one God, one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Old and New Testament scriptures given by plenary inspiration contain all truth necessary to faith and Christian living, that human beings are born with a fallen nature and are therefore inclined to evil and that continually, and that finally unrepentant are hopelessly and eternally lost, that the atonement through Jesus is for the whole human race, and that whosoever repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is justified and regenerated and saved from the dominion of sin. We believe that believers are to be sanctified wholly through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe that the Holy Spirit bears witness to this new birth and also to the entire sanctification of believers and that our Lord will return, the dead will, will be raised, and the final judgment will take place. Do you all wholeheartedly believe these truths? If so, answer, I do. I do. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And do you believe that he saves you now? If so, say, I do by faith. And desiring to unite with the Church of the Nazarene, do you commit to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself as expressed by the covenant of Christian character and conduct? Do you commit to the mission of God as expressed in the doctrine, fellowship, and work of the Church of the Nazarene? Will you support the teachings of the Church of the Nazarene and strive with God's help to grow in your understanding and practice in the same way that enhances the witness of the church? Will you endeavor in every way to glorify God by a humble walk, godly conversation, and holy service, by devotedly giving of your resources, and by faithfully participating in the means of grace? Will you follow Jesus Christ all the days of your life, abstain from all evil, and seek earnestly to perfect holiness of heart and life in the fear of the Lord? If so, answer, I will. I will. Will Kurt and Betty... Burl and Judy, I welcome you into the Church of the Nazarene and the fellowship of this beautiful local congregation with its benefits and responsibilities. May Jesus, the head of this church, bless you and keep you and enable you to be faithful in all good works and that your life and witness may be effective in care for the poor and oppressed and in leading others to Christ. Would you welcome them into our fellowship today? Do this to you guys. Love you guys so much. You may be seated. Thank you all.
If that makes your heart happy and that makes you feel joyful, would you just say amen? Amen. I am just in awe of the Lord and how he just brings people into our midst that are a blessing to us, a blessing to me. And it's just a reminder that I am so incredibly thankful to be in community with all of you. Truly, truly thankful. Well, this morning we are going to continue, we're going to continue, but also wrap up this series in the book of James. I've been saying continue for so long because <laughs> we've gone on and on. But this has been a nine week series in the book of James, and we are going to finish that this morning in chapter five. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll read from that in just a moment. Um, I, I tend to feel that at the end of a series, I'm tempted to want to go back through and kind of point to some of the different themes that we saw, and I want to highlight some of those things. But as I started to think about that, I thought that could be a 30-minute sermon in itself, and so I wanted to spare all of you from going back through all of that again this morning. I just don't think it would go as quickly as we would all like. Uh, so I thought maybe I'll send out an email this week in my newsletter and just kind of wrap up, because there have been a lot of great things in the book of James. There have been a lot of challenging moments where we are just to pause and really consider and wrestle with some of the things that James says to Christians, to, to people in the church. Um, and there's been some things that were a little bit more uh, difficult to receive, but I, I thought often, and I heard from you guys often, you know, that was hard, but we needed it. I needed it. I just want to tell you that I needed so much of this that I was right there with you saying that was hard, but I needed that. And I think we as a church have just needed a lot of what James has had to say. And I really, even though it's been challenging at times and it's, and it's been just a journey of, of difficult moments and, and happy and joyful moments, I really appreciate how the book of James ends. And, and I'm not sure, I could never say for certain, I'm sure scholars probably couldn't even say for certain, but I think that I, I like to believe that James was very intentional with how he ended the book. And I, you'll see what I mean in a moment when we read through the passage. But I like to believe that James very intentionally ended the book not only with spiritual disciplines that I think we need to incorporate in our everyday lives, but there's an emphasis, an underlying emphasis on my favorite thing. Can you guess what my favorite thing is? <laughs> the thing that I talk about all the time like, when, when a couple gets you a sweatshirt for pastor appreciation that says, with a big globe on it that says, love your hood, like, you know that people get it, that you are about community, that you are about loving your neighbors and doing this life with other people, and so you know that one of my favorite, oh, also, I need to point this out, they're not here today, but somebody gave me a bag of community coffee for pastor appreciation, and I just love that because my very first sermon here, I talked about how I love coffee, and I love community, and even better, there's a brand called Community Coffee, and so somebody got me that, and that was just so special to me. I don't know if I can ever brew it. It just sits in my cabinet, and I just admire it every time I open the door, uh, but you all know that I love community. I'm passionate about community, and I think James was passionate about community because there's things in our passage today that he tells us to do and and he encourages us to do that with other people he encourages us to do these things in community because church we are a community of faith we are a community of faith the book of James has been a lot about our faith and how that should be lived out 
right? James has talked about that tension of our faith and our actions and how they are to go hand in hand, that they are to work together. Our faith and our actions work together. But let us not forget that we weren't meant to do that alone. We weren't meant to figure out what this looks like alone. We weren't meant to journey through these things, growing spiritually and living out our faith alone. And so, James, I appreciate how he highlights not only spiritual disciplines in our passage today, but how we are to practice these things together. So with that being said, would you stand, if you're able to, and join me this morning in reading from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. James says, Is any one among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I also think that, you know, this passage picks up really beautifully where our last passage left off. Last week was kind of a, a space where we were, it was a moment where we made space for tension. I encouraged us to make space for tension last week as we just sat in the truth and, and acknowledged that sometimes, maybe more times than we would like, we go through moments of suffering, we go through moments of pain, we go through troubles, and we have to do a lot of waiting, Right? We talked last week about how much waiting we have to do. But we also talked about the reminder that God is present in the waiting. That God is present and faithful and working in the waiting. And that he is forming us for our good. That formation happens in the waiting. That we shouldn't rush past. And sometimes we should just sit and acknowledge what God wants to do in and through us in moments of waiting. And so James is going to build upon this truth. We haven't completely forsaken that. We're going to continue to build on this truth that, yes, there are moments of suffering. There are moments of hardship. There are moments of trouble and pain. And he says, are any of you in trouble? In other words, are there any of you? And I would even ask that question that you can just consider to yourself. Are there any of you who are in trouble? Are there any of you who are suffering? Are there any of you who feel like you're just carrying pain and grief or stress or anxiety this morning? James would say to you, to all of us, he would say, let them pray. Let them pray. Are any of you in trouble? 
let them pray. Are you suffering hardships? Let them pray. There is so much beauty in knowing. I know it's hard when we're going through difficult things. It's really hard. It's really difficult. But I I just want us to acknowledge that there is so much beauty in the truth that, that even though we are experiencing pain and trouble and walking through the valley, there is beauty and hopefulness in knowing that we don't walk through these things alone. That there, if we live this thing out correctly, this community, this, this life in fellowship with other believers that we just celebrated more people joining, if we are doing this thing correctly, then that means that when you guys are going through things, you should feel the weight of that and acknowledge the heaviness of that, but also recognize, you know what, but I don't walk alone in this. I don't walk alone. It's not all on me, but I've got others who want to carry this burden with me and walk alongside me. So James says, are you suffering? Are any of you in trouble? Let them pray. I think it's kind of important to notice those words there that he doesn't say you should pray or, 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 or he doesn't even give a specific direction of, well, just go alone and pray. Go in the closet and pray. But he says, let them pray. And I want to put the emphasis on them. I want to say, let them pray together. And it got me to thinking this week that, you know, so often we tell people that we will pray for them, right? But I wonder, how often do we pause and pray with people? That if we're going to take James' words seriously, I wonder if we should be praying with people more often, Don't get me wrong, it's good to pray for people. And you should let people know when you are praying for them because we need that. That's encouraging for us, right? But I also want to challenge us to continue to pray with someone. And in the same way, I want to kind of flip that and ask, when is the last time you asked someone to pray with you? Not just for you, but with you. Because sometimes it is just beautiful in a moment to say, you know what, can we just pray about that together right here and right now? Because in that moment, people feel seen. They feel acknowledged. It's not just in passing, oh, I'll pray for you. But it's no, let's stop right here, right now, and let's pray together. Last week, I heard something beautiful. I'm going to rat a person out. I won't say who it was, but Last week, there were some people praying at the altar afterwards, and as I was leaving the the sanctuary, I overheard a conversation where a person said, no one prays at the altar alone on my watch. And I just thought about that, and I thought how beautiful that was and how much I appreciated hearing that. Because I know that what this person was saying is, I'm not going to let someone pray alone. I want them to know that that I'm not going to invade their space, but there is someone here praying for you and with you, that you aren't praying alone, but that you have a community of people that are supporting you in this moment. And I just thought that was beautiful. And so along with these spiritual disciplines that James talks about in this passage, with this one being praying in our suffering, I want to give you a practice that I want you to, to implement in your life in some way if you're not already doing so. And so, I mean, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, that the practice for praying and suffering would be praying with someone and having someone pray with you. If you haven't done that recently, I just want to challenge you. Do this in your own time, in your own way, but I just want to challenge you. If it's been a while since you've prayed with another person, 
consider who you can pray with. And if it's been a while since you've asked someone to pray with you, consider who you can ask to pray with you this morning because we pray together in our suffering. Amen? So James goes on and he says, Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And so the spiritual discipline here would be praise or or rejoicing or, or praising God when good things happen. Because listen, last week we talked a lot about this tension of the already and the not yet. That's another thing I talk about a lot because there's truth and hope found in, in, in acknowledging this, this tension that we live in. We talked about Jesus has come. He has made things new. The kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven, but we still live in the tension of the not yet. He's coming again. He's going to make all things right and all things new once and for all. God will dwell with his people and we will dwell with God and we wait in the tension of that. But I just want to tell you that as people of the resurrection, which you and I are, we are people of the resurrection. We serve a resurrected king, right? And so as people of the resurrection, we make space for both the the suffering, acknowledging the suffering and the pain and the hardships that people go through. But as people of the resurrection, we also stand in knowing that God is good and that he is at work and there are things we can notice in our life that he is doing and we can praise him for those things. It is totally appropriate for Christians to stand in a, a hold space, I should say, for both mourning and praising. Did you know that we can do both? You don't have to pick one or the other. You can do both. There's space for for mourning, but there's also space for praising. Life can be hard and difficult, and we can acknowledge that, but guess what? God can still be good. God can still be seen. We can make space for both lament and praising. I like how Lamentations 3 puts it. It's kind of implemented in the, it's kind of, um, it's in the word there. Lament, Lamentations. I like the tension here because I relate to this so much. In Lamentations 3, the, the author says, my soul is downcast within me. Do you just ever feel that? Do you just ever feel the weight? I think some translations say, why is my soul so downcast? Or why is my heart so heavy? My soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. Thanks be to God. That every day there is hope. Every day his mercies are new. And because of that, because of this truth, we can praise God even in the midst of lament and suffering. God is praiseworthy because of things we read in Zephaniah 3, another beautiful one. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will be quiet or he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Friends, there is space for both mourning and praising. And so for the spiritual discipline of praising or rejoicing, the practice that I want you to try to implement if you don't do this on a regular basis is to name and possibly even write down the things that you're thankful for in your life. This is the season of gratitude, right? 
This is, is I don't know if, if, if I like love that or hate it, because in some ways it's like this is the one time of year that we focus on the things that we're grateful for. And, but really, we should do that all the time. That's kind of the cliche Thanksgiving season saying, right? I do appreciate, though, I don't know if any of you do this or, or have seen this, but I appreciate on Facebook that a lot of my Facebook friends will do the 30 days of gratitude, where each day in November they will highlight something they're grateful for, and that just blesses me. I'm not good at, at doing that every day, but it just blesses me to read those things, and then it reminds me of things in my life that I can praise God for. And so I want you to make it a practice of, of naming or writing things down that you are thankful for in your life, but that's not it because anyone can do that, right? I want you to take a step further and I want you to try to identify where you see God at work in those things. I want you to try to recognize how these things are indicators of God at work in your life. That even if you're in a season of trouble and hardship, that there are good things that God is doing in your life that he is not silent, that he is not absent, that he is in the waiting and he's working in the waiting. And I want you to try to recognize what those things are. Identify these things that bring your heart gladness and offer thanks to God for these things. And I want you to watch how how you're going to see your heart change. When you go through times of suffering, when you go through times of trials and hardships, I want you to take notice. Journal it if you can. I want you to journal how, how much, how different it is to go through hard seasons and only focusing on the hard of the season and only thinking about where God isn't and what he's not doing. And I want you to consider how different that is from going through a hard season and yet recognizing and being thankful for and praising God for how he is working, how he is moving, what he is doing, and how faithful he has been and will continue to be. And you're going to look back on that and you're going to remind yourself, you know what, devil, get out of here. Because this is who my God is. I won't forget. I won't forget that he's been there before and he's going to be there again. He's going to do it again. He's going to carry me through again. He's at work always. And I'm going to rejoice that my God never fails. James goes on to another spiritual discipline. This one kind of goes along with praying, but he takes it a step further by incorporating anointing praying for healing for those who are sick and anointing them. And just in case you've never noticed this little jar of oil here, I want you to know that it's because of passages like this that we in the Church of the Nazarene, we affirm anointing our brothers and sisters with oil in the name of Jesus when they request healing or when they're requesting prayer for healing. We do that. That's something that we do. And, and the only thing that's standing in the way of you being anointed is just your willingness to step out and say, hey, would you anoint me? Can we have people safely gather around me as they pray for me? We affirm and we practice this anointing with oil. James says, is anyone among you sick? Are, are you physically sick? Are you mentally sick? Are you emotionally sick? Are you spiritually sick? He says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That's a bold claim. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. 
This, this passage is generally understood that James is referring to kind of two different things when he talks about anointing with oil. That there is certainly the spiritual aspect, believing in God to touch and heal divinely. We, we certainly believe that when we pray that God listens, that God is active, that God is working, and we believe in divine encounters. Amen? But James is also recognizing, and, and we should recognize, that, that oil was also used for medicinal purposes. The oil was used as a healing balm. And so it's kind of like we stand in this, in this space where we recognize that, that oil can be both for a spiritual purpose, for consecrating before God, saying, I am consecrating this person before God in the name of Jesus, that God would see them, that God would touch them, that God would heal them. And we also recognize that modern medicine, thanks be to God, is helpful and we will acknowledge that and we will utilize that and we hold these two things together and so that's just it's appropriate for us to recognize that there were two purposes for that oil but that's just kind of a little nerdy fact but but what I really want us to focus on is again the communal aspect of James's words is anyone among you sick call the elders of the church to pray for you Call the church to pray for you. There's that act of stepping out and asking someone to pray with you and over you and for you. And and just so you know, that word church that he uses is not a, a word for building. It's not for temple or synagogue, but it's the word ecclesia, which is the body. So he's not saying, go into the church building and pray. He's saying, no, no, call the body to come around you, to pray over you, to anoint you and to call out to God for your healing on your behalf. Because James is recognizing once again that something beautiful happens when the people of God gather together and pray over someone who is desperate for a touch from God. That in that moment... It's as if we are coming alongside that person, and when that person can't stand before God and hold their hands up, that moment is an act of us coming alongside that person and metaphorically holding their hands up when they can't do that themselves. We come alongside and we, we support each other. We hold each other's arms up. We extend our cries out to God, but we do that together so that no one feels as if they are doing that alone. Someone is believing with us and for us. Someone is interceding with us and for us. Someone is holding us up as we cry out. I like how N.T. Wright puts it. He puts it beautifully. Of course, he says, the person or people praying stand with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, and with the other foot in the place of healing, forgiveness, and hope. There's the tension. You see it? Already? Not yet? And he says, prayer brings the latter to the former. We may not ever be as much aware of the tensions of the already, not yet, than when we're standing and praying and calling out to God, desperate for a touch from the Lord, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, We are very aware of the already and not yet in those moments. But James reminds us in verse 15 that when we pray together in faith that the Lord will draw near, that the Lord will make 
us well. And I really got hung up on that because I was like, that's a bold claim because I know some people who haven't been made well. And then what I was left with was just this reality that sometimes it's just well with our soul. That sometimes in the tension of the already and not yet, the Lord makes it well, but it's not the way you want him to make you well, but he just makes it well in your soul. We are reminded when we come together in prayer and anointing that God will save, that God will touch, that God will deliver, that God will come to our rescue, and that if nothing else, God will carry us through when we couldn't get through on our own. I don't want to rush past this because I want to recognize that there are so many times where we have done this and it didn't go the way we wanted There are so many times when we have done this, we have stood and and mustered up every last bit of faith we had, and it still didn't go the way we wanted. We didn't get the outcome that we prayed for, and that's when I really appreciated author Adele Calhoun. She authors this spiritual discipline book, and she says, the prayer for healing of any kind invites us to stay in the space between desiring healing and demanding it, and we just stay in this space of, of of praying nonetheless, anointing nonetheless. We will continue to intercede. We will continue to lift others up. We will continue to come alongside and anoint and pray because we know that God delivers. We've seen God heal and we'll see him do it again. It may not be the way we want, but we trust that we will see him do it again. We've seen God's power made perfect in weakness and we will see his power at work again. And so for the practice, I think it goes without saying that when you need anointing, when you need physical prayer, physical anointing and prayer, just step out, ask for it, and we will gather around you and we will hold you up. And when we pray in these moments, we are inviting Jesus into our past injuries, into our past memories, into our wounds, and we are saying, Lord, it's yours. Help me, Lord Jesus. And then James goes into the one that we probably wrestle with the most. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This this spiritual discipline of confession, I think, is frequently looked over among Christians. I think we, we kind of quickly cover or past this one, and we don't give it a lot of thought, and I wonder if it's because we just don't really see it as something we need. I wonder if, if when it comes to community, we are all about community, we are all about gathering and doing life together, except for when it comes to me divulging the most vulnerable, inner, not-so-pretty parts of my heart. I can't do that. That's where I draw the line at community, right? I think sometimes that's the mindset that we that we operate under. But James clearly says, there's no ifs, ands, or buts here. He says, confess your sins to one another. And I like how Carla Sundberg points out, she, she, made this, she pointed out something that I thought was really profound, that in our tradition, in the Church of the Nazarene, because we use language like Christian perfection and holiness, we might sometimes look at it as perfection versus confession. That it might be, if we're confessing, it means we have fallen short and we're not actually perfect, and I'm just not ready to acknowledge that just yet, 
right? And, and we understand that in our Nazarene tradition, when we use language like perfection and holiness, it's the whole cleansing of our heart. It's giving our whole hearts to Jesus and, and not holding any of that back. But that does not mean that we will go on sinless, perfect, in, in mind, thought, and deed always. There's going to be moments where we need to come alongside another person and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I need you to, to pray for, and I need you to hold me accountable. We might look at confession as a sign of, of failure, but in reality, confession is necessary to both holy living and whole living. As we confess our shortcomings to God, and to someone else. It's, a confession is simply surrendering our weaknesses and our faults to the forgiving love of Christ. And in our confession, in our examining, we are intentionally and purposefully, and this is important, we are intentionally and purposefully desiring to embrace practices that will bring transformation in our lives. But then guess what? We don't do that alone. We do that with someone. Someone comes alongside us and encourages us, holds us accountable, and reminds us that we aren't alone. And I really love how James ties that into healing. If you notice, the language kind of overlaps there, and he, he talks about the sin and, and the nature of, of healing in response to sin, and in regards to sin. Because it's, if it's sickness that we are experiencing that's, that's related to our sin, if we've sought forgiveness then we will be forgiven and we will be healed from the inside out. It's not just for physical issues, but it's spiritual. And confession is important because if we confess our sin, then we can be forgiven. And forgiveness sets us free. I don't want to be held in chains to my sin. I want to be set free. And I recognize that I can't do that on my own. I need the power of Christ first and foremost. And I need the love and support and prayers of others that are willing to walk alongside me, even in my shortcomings. Because I have them. have a lot of them. But I'm thankful for community. So for your practice for confession, it's pretty simple, but it's really hard. Admit to God your natural propensity to live a life that doesn't align with a life of holiness and Christ-like character. Just admit that there are times where we veer from that. Maybe pause and examine the sin in your life right now that might reveal things like self-centered habits, weaknesses in certain areas, and broken relationships. And then be intentional about replacing those sinful habits with healthy ones and with a partner, with somebody who is spiritually mature, who can see and call out your blind spots. You know what you need? You need to invite someone, a, a trusted, respected, spiritually mature Christian, you need to invite them into your life and you need to give them permission to call out your blind spots. Because there are things that I don't always see in myself. There are times where we think pretty stinking well of ourselves. And sometimes we need to give permission to someone to say, you know what, if you see something in me that I don't see, I give you permission to call it out. I give you permission to lovingly say to me, hey, this is a blind spot that you might need to pay attention to. You need that in your life. 
I have that in my life. I've had that in my life. And, and I can think back to a beautiful friendship that I had in Arkansas and still have. And I'll just never forget one day at breakfast, I was kind of sharing some, some things with her, some relationship struggles within my family. And I'll just never forget when she, she paused and she just lovingly said, I think you have a blind spot. And I just want you to pray about that and think about that. And it totally transformed the issue that I was dealing with once I acknowledged that I, that I had this blind spot. And so the practice is to admit, admit and examine your sin and ask someone to come alongside you and hold you accountable and point out your blind spots. And that's, those are the, the spiritual practices that we, or the spiritual disciplines that we see as James ends this book. But I, I want to throw a bonus one out there because for, for the majority of the week, I thought, okay, there's four spiritual disciplines that are good for us that we need to incorporate. But I just want to say that I think there's a fifth hidden discipline, and I think that spiritual discipline is community. As I've said kind of from the beginning of, of, of this morning, that we are reminded of, again of the importance of community. Because in all these areas, we come alongside each other and we remind each other of who Jesus is, how Jesus lives, how Jesus loves, and how he calls us to live. And in all these areas and all these things, we need others to come alongside and remind us of the truth of God. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up this morning. And as they do, I really appreciated how the message translation put one part of this passage. The message translation said, pretty simply and straightforward, just make it a common practice to confess and pray together so that we can be whole. And that's what it boils down to. Make it a common practice to confess and pray together so that we can be whole and that we can wholly be who God has called us to be. And the practice for community, you've heard me say this time and time again, and we talked about it not too long ago. But the practice for community, the spiritual discipline at times of community, join a small group. We have four we have four great small groups, and if you're not a part of one, and if you feel like you are missing this in your life, maybe you were doing really well on the spiritual disciplines list, and then we got to community, and it's like, oh, that's the one that I haven't quite, haven't quite got that one down yet. Join a small group of some kind. Enter into a discipleship relationship with trusted individuals. The point is to be a part of a faith community and see how this imparts Christ to you in new and deep ways. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, this was a lot to unpack this morning. And God, I just want us to pause and acknowledge these spiritual disciplines that James has has listed and shared that these are important things when it comes to the community of faith. When it comes to living out this faith that James talks about in this book, that we can't do these things without community. We can't do these things without prayer. We can't do these things without acknowledging and confessing the weakest parts of ourselves. 
So God, would you help us this morning and show us which of these disciplines do we need to incorporate into our life? Which of these disciplines do we need to grow in? Lord, this morning, would you just meet us here as some of us might just surrender and say, I'm done trying to do this on my own. And I acknowledge that I need others to come alongside as I try to live this thing out. Lord, we thank you for this teaching of James, this this book and this letter as a whole, where we are reminded that we are Christians who live in a faith community, one that is supportive, one in which we do not walk alone. And God, we trust that in our moment of surrender, in our moment of response, that you are going to meet us here you're going to make us new once again. And we are desperate for that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Running into your
that you are reminding those of us here not only of this faith that we are called to live out but you are reminding us that we don't walk this journey alone and that God sometimes there is space for both praying and suffering and rejoicing Rejoicing that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are true, and that your mercies are new each day. God, there is space to be made for anointing, for coming alongside and praying over and with one another, holding each other's arms up as we stand in faith, waiting for you to move, to touch, to deliver, to heal. God, we recognize that we need to make space for mutual accountability, for confession, for relationship, one in which we can share the honest, ugly parts of ourselves. But God, we do so with someone who sees us, who loves us, and who is willing to pray for us and walk alongside us as as we just try to look more like you, Lord Jesus. We don't do that alone, and we thank you, God, for this reminder of community 
And we thank you for this reminder of all the beautiful ways in which you make yourself known to us. These disciplines are hard, and it's easy to let them fall along the wayside and not pay too much attention to them. But God, we are reminded today that these disciplines are important, and we see you in and through these different things. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. And God, I thank you for this body of people. I thank you for the genuine, loving, kind, holy, Christ-like people at BFCN. God, would you continue to walk with us, guide us, and help us each and every day. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Are you glad you came to church this morning? What a beautiful reminder of this body that we have. I'm thankful for all of you. Well, I want to share a few quick announcements with you before we leave this morning. Um, Operation Christmas Child, we're going to wrap that up this week. Uh, Tomorrow at noon, the homeschool group, some of them are going to come and they're going to pack those boxes. We're going to have all that set up here, um, up here, kind of, I think, out here in the fellowship or in the foyer, in the basement. It's going to be downstairs. I'm sorry. That's why I felt like I needed to confirm that for you because I couldn't remember. We're going to be downstairs because we are... um, doing some stuff up here this week, which I'll tell you about in just a moment. But yeah, so that's going to be tomorrow at noon. If you're able to come and help pack those boxes, you are certainly invited and welcome to do so. Uh, Throughout the month of November, we're going to continue to be collecting $25 restaurant gift cards for the Restore Network Christmas party. Our goal is 55. Do we have a number where we're at now? Okay, all right, so about 20, 20 or so, so uh, we've got a few more weeks, we're going to get there, I think we're going to get more, so um, let's just go ahead and keep doing that if you haven't done so already. Um, in, in a few weeks on the 21st, we are going to receive the Thanksgiving offering for the World Evangelism Fund, um, and I think we have a video to show for that, so we're going to do that really quick. Nazarene Missions is a movement of God through the people of God. This movement is funded through the generous, sacrificial giving of people and churches throughout the world. World Evangelism Giving is the foundation for discovering, developing, and resourcing our missions organization and has enabled the Church of the Nazarene to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to unreached people and places. It is the cornerstone of our denomination's missional funding with the largest portion of giving going to missions work in the Nazarene regions. These funds enable the regions to effectively implement church planting and discipleship strategies through local churches and ministries. Every church and individual in our denomination participates with their financial contributions to world evangelism, binding us together with a unified purpose and vision. Because of your giving, the Church of the Nazarene is able to develop and sustain worldwide communication, technology support, and new mission programs. All Nazarene missionaries, regardless of deployment status, benefit from the mission's foundation created by World Evangelism Giving. Each missionary receives support, such as funding, insurance, and missionary care. 
Nazarene Missions International, Nazarene Youth International, Work and Witness, Global Missions, and many other ministries are supported by World Evangelism Giving. Independently funded ministries like Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, Jesus Film Harvest Partners, and World Mission Broadcast also benefit from the infrastructure it sustains. Through your giving, new churches worldwide are able to make an impact in their community. Those funds also train and equip pastors and church leaders in these churches. Pastors like Rafi, who fulfilled his call to ministry after escaping war-torn Syria. Today, Rafi and his mother Lena have started two Arabic-speaking churches in Poland. Your giving funds clergy development and ordination in the Church of the Nazarene and makes holiness education available worldwide through Nazarene institutions of higher education. Your giving provides resources and literature in more than 90 languages to churches all over the world. This includes resources for pastors and Bible-based teaching materials for children, youth, and adults. Because of your giving, schools like the Armstrong Primary School in Côte d'Ivoire are impacting their community. School children are being taught Christian values, and the students and their families are being reached for the Lord. In Mark 12, we see the beautiful example of a widow giving abundantly. Jesus calls his disciples and points her out as the one who gave the most, because she gave all. Our focus is not on how much we give. We give because we believe in a missional God who is at work through our Nazarene missionaries, reaching places and people we can't even imagine. We believe in a God who moves, and that belief, deeply seated in our hearts, moves us to give. We are a global church, a generous church, participating in the transformational love of Jesus Christ in our local communities. Together, through our world evangelism giving, we share Christ's love with the world. I just think that video is important for a lot of reasons. For those of you who just wonder sometimes, which is totally fair, hey, where does the money that I give go? Like, what does it go toward? I think they cover that really well in that video, but it's also a good reminder that we can get so focused and invested on this local community that we forget that we are a part of a worldwide community, a worldwide body of believers, and, and they, the missionaries and the churches around the world can't do what they do alone, and they count on our support both in prayer and in our giving. And so we just wanted to make, we wanted to acknowledge the work that the church is doing, and that's what you are giving to, and that's where your giving goes, okay? So that'll be collected again on Sunday, November 21st. Um, also Sunday, November 21st. Is that next Sunday? That's next Sunday. Oh my goodness. Uh, we are also going to be decorating the church for Christmas. So if you're around in the evening at 5.30 p.m., we invite you to join us as we get the church ready for the season of Advent. And in the spirit of the season of Advent, we want to invite you to an all-church Christmas lunch on Sunday, November 12th. You are cordially invited. Here is your virtual invitation and we hope you will join us, okay? So we are going to ask that you would uh, sign up um, in the foyer to let us know that you're coming so that we can know how many to prepare for. And um, we're excited to celebrate in that lunch together for the season of Advent. 
Um, and finally, this morning, one last uh, thing here is an all call for, um, for your help if you are available for a few minutes after church. Um, we are going to get the carpets cleaned in the fellowship hall this week, and so we are going to try to move everything out of the fellowship hall into wherever Karen tells us <laughs> to put it, but mostly out here into the foyer, onto the hard floor, because that carpet's going to be getting cleaned. Um, and so if you just have a few minutes to help us move some things out, um, we're going to be doing that after service, and hopefully that will go quickly and smoothly, um, and then we'll keep you posted on when we're going to put all that back, because we might need some help then too, so, so keep, out, keep an eye out for that this week, probably Thursday evening if you're available, but we'll let you know. We'll send out an email. Okay, that was a lot. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too much for you. I hope you found something good in there, and I'm going to invite you all to stand this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what a full, beautiful time of worship this has been today. I pray that you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would know that you are loved and that you are not alone. Go in his grace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.